reading of his word. And guys, I know Psalm 23 is one that we know very, very well. I think that it is possibly the first passage of scripture that I learnt myself in Sunday school, and uh, that was a little time ago. And we know it to be the psalm of comfort. And I think we're in a season and a time where we want that comfort. There's so many people who are living in fear and are troubled right at this present time. And I think about um, the fact that we, we're not getting uh, accurate COVID numbers back to the state at the moment. And uh, when you think about the fact that we've got over 10,000 new cases every day, we'll soon be getting to what the government has predicted by the end of January, February of over 200,000 new cases each and every day. It's a concern, isn't it? And it's in these times of uncertainty that we have to have a sure foundation. We have to have a rock on which to stand upon. We have to have something that gives us strength. And so we find ourselves in God's word. What we need to realise, we as God's people are not exempt to illness. We don't have a bubble around us that protects us from the illnesses and diseases of this world. It's part of the fallen state of humanity. If we were exempt, we wouldn't die. And that's not the case. Many of our members, as I said earlier, have already been diagnosed with COVID. They're COVID positive. Praise God, they're all doing well. We need to continue to pray for them. But we need to look for this comfort, this security, the support and guidance first and foremost of our Heavenly Father. We should go to Him first. And I think Psalm 23 is certainly one of those psalms that people have looked to over the years for that comfort and support and guidance. And I believe that it's very timely for us to look at it today. As I was preparing for this message this morning, um, I read through a number of commentators and a number of different books and things like that. And, you know, these guys, they're much more educated than me. They're more intelligent than me. And that's why I do that, because I need them to guide what I'm going to say. And it's interesting because there's one name that kept coming up over and over again, one book that they kept referring to over and over again. And it was about a pastor, and the pastor's name was a guy called Philip Keller. If I say Timothy Keller, please forgive me, it's actually Philip Keller. Uh, and he wrote a book called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Uh, and uh, I, I would say that I had not heard of this book. And um, when I saw the cover, when I looked it up, I went, actually, that's on my bookshelf. So I turned around. It was actually physically straight behind me in my office at home. And so I picked it up and I started reading it. And it's an incredible book. Can I encourage you, if you want to encounter with Psalm 23 that you haven't experienced before, buy this book. It's not an expensive book. It's available at Kurong. And uh, I checked. So uh, I know they've got a number of copies there. And uh, Philip is a guy who grew up in South Africa and uh, in South Africa he was surrounded by shepherds and the way that the shepherds operated in South Africa is very, very similar to the way that our biblical shepherds operated as well. And uh, Philip himself uh, became a shepherd. He was a shepherd for eight years and so he has this insight into what it means to be a shepherd but then he also became a pastor after that. 
And so he wrestles with the interpretation of Psalm 23 because he knows so much about sheep and he knows so much about what it means to be a shepherd. And so I tell you all of this because this book has heavily influenced what I'm going to say this morning. And I think it's important for you to actually know that. But this book is practical. It's down to earth. It's a very easy read. And I'm sure that you will benefit greatly from it. Before we get into this word, let's pray. Father God, again, I thank you for your presence, your power, your love that is with us here in the auditorium and with those people at home. I thank you, Lord, that you continue to speak to us through your word. And Lord, that's my desire this morning, that whatever is said, we'll have open hearts, open minds to hear from you and that you will speak clearly through me to those who are gathered here and at home this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we begin this, uh, it's obviously a psalm of David. I don't think anyone would question that. But what's amazing about it is how it is actually written. It's a celebration of who David is in submitting to someone else. It's a celebration of what it means to be a sheep to this great shepherd. And he submitted his life fully to the Lord God. And the idea of being happy or overjoyed in serving someone else is so alien and foreign to us. I think we miss a lot of what is actually said when we read those things in Scripture. But that's where David is. He's overjoyed that he should have the Lord as his shepherd. And so the psalm begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you've heard me say it before, and no doubt I'll say it again and again and again. We have this habit of glossing over things without digging into it. And this first line, what can we possibly get from that? But the word used here, the Lord. Well, what do we think about when we read the Lord? Who are we thinking this is referring to? And this is the word that describes God as self-existent, eternal, The God who was and is and is to come. He's never changing. He needs nothing from no one. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is always everywhere. He is wise. He is faithful. He is good. He is just. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is loving. And he's glorious. And he's David's shepherd. Just stop and think about that for a minute. The all-powerful and almighty God is David's shepherd. And David gets this. He understands this because David was a shepherd himself. Being a shepherd was a menial task. It was the role given to the youngest member of the family. Think back to 1 Samuel 16 when Samuel goes to anoint a son of Jesse to be the new king of Israel. He doesn't know who of the sons that is going to be, but he's sent to Jesse to actually do that. And all those sons pass by him, starting with the eldest. And these are men who were physically good-looking, men who he thought would perhaps be the one. But all of them pass by and he says no to all. He doesn't believe God has called any of those guys to be the anointed king. And so Samuel says, is this all of the sons? Isn't there another? And just look at the response here, will you? They say, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he tends the sheep. It's a real put down. It's like, he's menial. He's not worth anything. This is a basic task that's given to the youngest, insignificant person. And this is why David's excited. He's he's almost shouting it out. 
You know Yahweh? You know the great I am? You know this incredible, all-powerful, eternal God? He's my shepherd. He's the one that guides me. He's the one who lovingly cares for me. He's the one who provides for me. He is my shepherd. And what we often forget is a shepherd's role and task at that time was 24-7. They never stopped caring for their sheep. They were always present. It was full-time. It was a thankless role, a role which no one in their right mind would take on. And yet our God, in his great love for us, says, that's what I want to do. I want to shepherd my people. I want to care for you in a way you've never been cared for before. I want to show you the love that you've never experienced before. And so he does. He has stepped down from heaven. He has dwelt among us. He has become fully man so he can show that he understands us. He died and he rose on the third day, ascended to glory, is seated at God's right hand and he continues to care for us even now. And because he cares for us, I shall not want. This is an interesting statement. And of course, when we're talking about our all-sufficient God as being our shepherd, it stands to reason that we will lack nothing. He will provide all our needs according to his riches in glory. But it's more than that. It's about being content regardless of circumstances. When we think about King David, you may think about the fact that he was wealthy, that he had many who paid homage to him, that resulted in the great wealth that he accumulated. But it wasn't always that way. David had known personal hardship. He had known poverty. He had known anguish of spirit. And yet he continued to be a man after God's own heart. Think about the amount of times that Saul opposed him. And the poverty David was in at that time. I want you to think about Paul. Man, I'm lost. Must be here. Yeah. When we're talking about Paul, he learned to be content regardless of his outward circumstances. What David, Paul and so many others have learned is that when you serve the one true master, he's everything you need. You don't need anything else. They prefer to sacrifice what could be theirs during their short time on earth to pursue the greater prize of knowing Christ. He is the good shepherd. He cares for his sheep. He can be trusted and he will give us everything we need. He is a shepherd who delights in his flock. In him we will lack nothing and we will want for nothing if we set our eyes firmly on him. And how and why can we say this? Because he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. And again, we seem to miss something. This is the sheep metaphor. He makes me lie down. How do you get a sheep to lie down? City folk possibly think, well, they just lay down. It's not true. They don't. Sheep don't lie down often. The only way you are going to get a sheep to lie down is for it to be free from fear. They are part of a flock also. And believe it or not, sheep will not lay down if there's been any tension or conflict with other sheep. They, they just won't. They are restless about that. If they're tormented by flies or other parasites, they will not lie down. And they also will not lie down if they're hungry or thirsty. I want you to think about those four things. 
in order for these sheep to rest, to find peace, they need to be free of fear. They need to be free of tension. They need to be free of aggravation. They need to be free of hunger and thirst. All of those things can only be provided by the shepherd, by no one else, the shepherd himself. And the other thing is, sheep are skittish. I'm not sure, how many people have seen flocks of sheep and things like that? A few, okay, that's cool. Sheep are very, very skittish. You can have a rabbit shoot out of a bush and the sheep will just scatter. It's a rabbit. It's not going to do anything to them. But, but that's the way sheep are. They can be frightened by the simplest things. Um, a strange dog walk onto the property. It could be the cutest, fluffiest dog, but the sheep will flee because they're just frightened by it. They don't actually know that dog. And so there's only one thing that consistently calms and quiets them, and that's the presence of the shepherd. When the shepherd is there, they have a confidence in him that they don't have otherwise. Through scripture, we hear the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And that is so, so true. And when the shepherd is present, this calmness comes upon them. They sense the presence of their master. And with that master comes protection. And that protection puts them at ease. It allows them to lie down. It's interesting that as we've talked about this, this psalm starts where all followers of Christ need to start with the declaration that he is our Lord. None of this works for non-believers. It's only true for those who follow Christ. And it's interesting too, we give our life to Jesus and we think that we're called to action straight away and certainly there is action that needs to happen. But the first thing we're told in this psalm is that you need to rest. We need to rest in Christ. We need to rest in God. And it is when we rest in him, when we rely upon him and the finished work of the cross, there's nothing else we can do. And when we get that in our heads, we become so much more useful to him and his purposes. There's plenty of time for other things. But do we rest in Christ? Do we take that time each and every day to be with him? To understand who he is. To understand all he provides for us. We head out into the world where the action and obedience is all part of living for Jesus as well. But then we come back and we must rest again. He's done everything for us. There's nothing we can do for ourselves. And being in the presence of our good shepherd, finding him to be the provider of all we need. Is that where you're at? Do you believe that? Are you resting in Christ? Are you being led beside still waters? Sheep are about 70%, 70% water, their body makeup. They, like us, need water for their bodies to function correctly. Uh, if their supply of water is exhausted and they become dehydrated, uh, they become thirsty and they'll wander off from the herd to find water. And the thing is, if they're not led to good water, they'll accept whatever's along the way. And many a sheep have died because they've drunk water that has been filled with parasites or other bugs and diseases. And the incredible thing is, Sheep can survive for months without any, any actual physical water, without a pool of water, if they're managed well. There are generally three sources of water for sheep. 
In the early hours of the morning, there's dew on the vegetation. There's the deep wells or springs. And then, of course, there's the creeks and rivers. And dew is just pure, still water. The good shepherd rises early, meeting with and caring for his sheep, leading them to the dew-covered forage in the pre-dawn hours so that the sheep can benefit most from them. And as the sheep graze upon that early morning grass, they receive the water that they require. They are nourished. And I can tell you, the calmest, most confident, godly men and women I know rise early and spend time with Jesus. They hunger and thirst for him. And they receive from him all they need. And they need receive enough to get through whatever they're facing. And they face that with their Lord. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Keep in mind that this is David speaking as a sheep in the care of a good shepherd. So how does the shepherd restore his soul? And I want you to think about King David. King David was a man who was after God's own heart. But we also know that he committed some terrible sins. He desired another man's wife, Bathsheba. And he took the steps necessary in order for him to sleep with her. She fell pregnant. And then rather than confessing his sin, rather than admitting what he had done wrong, he actually formulated a way to try and trick her husband into sleeping with her. And when that didn't work, he went one step further. And he made arrangements so that Bathsheba's husband would be murdered, covered up in a battle. And so he married Bathsheba in an effort to conceal this despicable act. But God was aware. And we know many other struggles that King David faced. And he wrote Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Again, there's a bit of a metaphor happening here with um, the sheep. Does anyone know what a cast sheep is? I'd never heard the term. A cast sheep is a sheep that uh, has been at peace and it's actually laid down. And when it lays down, it might lie in a slight hollow or on a slight slope. And then as is normal for us and for sheep, it wiggles a little bit and it ends up rolling onto its back. A sheep on its back cannot get up. And because it's inverted, it immediately starts to build gases up inside it. This is so serious that sheep will die within 24 hours if it's not attended to. And it's something that does happen regularly uh, when the shepherds are unaware that it has occurred. In this cast state, they also fall easy prey to other predators. And I don't think it was any different for King David. It's no different for us. Uh, I, I've always said to people who've come to me, when, when we are cast down, when we're depressed, when we feel the world's weighing in upon us, we have this tendency just to drop our eyes and we look at ourselves and our situation 
<laughs> I encourage them to go to Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And the very act of lifting our eyes changes our attitude. And that's what's happening here. Don't allow your soul to be cast down. Lift your eyes to the hills. And we know from Scripture again when the shepherd counts his flock and he realises that even if one is missing, he sets out to find that one. He doesn't want to lose even one. Amen. Isn't that a great story for you guys? He doesn't want to lose even one. And he knows that that one out on its own, it's subject to being attacked by predators. He knows that one out on its own, if it is cast, it doesn't have long to live. And so he searches for it. And if it's just a shepherd and not our God, he searches frantically. And when he arrives, or when he sees it off in the distance, he runs to it first and foremost. And he gets to that sheep's side and he gently rolls it back. And immediately that pressure begins to release within the sheep. And if the sheep has been on its back for a long time, the shepherd will actually lift it up and stand it back on its feet. Then he'll straddle it and he'll hold it there and he'll massage its legs until circulation returns and that sheep can stand on its own. And we've read in scripture how the shepherd carries the sheep back and celebrates because he found it alive. The sheep was too weak to walk on its own. It takes time and effort. But the whole time the shepherd's rejoicing because he's found the sheep in time. He celebrates because he was able to rescue it. He was able to save it. Think this through. On the one hand, we have this sheep who is normally healthy, strong, capable and able to do whatever it needs to do in order to live, but now it's stricken, helpless, totally immobilised. On the other hand, we have this attentive shepherd ready to rescue, patient, tender, loving, caring, ever helpful. That's our Lord. He waits to restore. He's willing to save. David messed up, but he wasn't cast aside. The shepherd cares for his sheep. How much more, our God? He has compassion on those who have wandered. He pursues us as, he, as the shepherd pursues lost sheep. And our God does eagerly, quickly, ready and willing to help. That's our saviour, our wonderful shepherd. He knows we're going to mess up. I want you to think about Peter. Peter, all of the, Peter says to Jesus, all of these may fall away. That's them, not me, Lord. I will never, ever do that. Deny Jesus three times. Then Jesus meets him by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus comes in tenderness, in love, in patience. And he restores Peter. He seeks you and he seeks me. Quietly, gently, willingly, reassuringly, no matter what 
you have done, no matter what I have done. You may be cast down, but he will lift you up again. And he will do so joyfully, celebrating the sheep that had wandered off, but that is now restored. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I think we all understand that sheep aren't the brightest. They are known to easily wander off. Even if they've just been led to the best grassy field, if they're not carefully watched, they'll wander back to arid lands and areas. Even if they're near water, it's not uncommon for them to walk away from that. They're also known to walk the same tracks over and over and over if they're not guided accurately. And for us, that may not seem a big deal, but that creates erosion. And the other problem is, as they continue to walk the same path over and over, parasites and bugs grow in those areas where they've previously passed. And so it becomes unhealthy for them once more, and they can get sick from doing that. Worse than that, if they're led to good pasture and they're left there, they'll just eat everything. They won't stop until it's all gone. And part of being a good shepherd is to actually move them on from that pasture before it is all gone so that they can return to it once more and be, and be fed again. And so a good shepherd plans how he's going to lead his sheep. A good shepherd knows the way he's going to take them. He always keeps in mind that he has to return to these paddocks for grazing again. And so he won't allow them to eat everything. And his route will include the water that is so desperately needed. He knows how long his sheep can survive without it and he'll ensure that there's water along the way that will meet the needs of his sheep. And his path is not straight. It's a wandering path. It doesn't go directly to where you should think it should go. It's not the straight way, but it's the right way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. Isaiah 53, 6. And we're just like the sheep. It tells us over and over in Scripture. But when we turn to the Lord, He will lead us in the way that we should go, the right way. We may think it's a crooked path. We may think that it's not going the way that it should go. But His ways are always right. This is the life that we often talk about a life that is fundamentally different to the rest of the world, a life that stands out. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone, names, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. We are told here to depart from iniquity. And this passage goes on to say that in Jesus, we have been cleansed in order that we can now be used for honourable use. Set apart as holy, ready for every good work. Working no longer for ourselves, but for his name's sake. Everything we do for his glory. And we're constantly warned in scripture, living for Jesus is not going to be easy. There will be times of trial. And we're reminded of that in this psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
And, and this signifies a change in the psalm. To this point, when referring to the shepherd, David addressed the shepherd in the third person. Now it becomes much more personal, moving from he to you. It's like he now addresses the shepherd directly. It becomes much more personal. A good shepherd will lead his flock to higher ground at certain seasons of the year. And so in order to get to that higher ground, they have to pass through the valleys. It's actually a good thing to do. But there's danger. In the valleys, you find lots of fresh water. You find abundant feed. But there's problems. It's in the valleys where you're more subject to floods, to rock slides, and uh, where storms become very, very fierce in a short period of time. The good shepherd is aware of that, and he prepares to safeguard his flock in any of those situations if they were to occur. And as they travel in these difficult times, again, the sheep are assured because the shepherd is constantly with them, and he has a rod and a staff, a rod and a staff which comforts. The rod is used to ward off predators. It's also used to bring discipline to the sheep who would otherwise wander off into danger. The rod is a good thing. And the staff is used to draw the sheep closer to the shepherd himself, to guide them in the right path. And so the sheep are comforted by the rod and the staff because their use is ultimately for their benefit and good. And then we're told, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Some commentators say that this moves past the sheep metaphor and this becomes about us and our return to glory. But Keller says that it continues speaking about sheep and that this is referring to the way a good shepherd prepares the highlands for his sheep to arrive. They're called table lands. He goes before the sheep. He removes any hazards along the way. He destroys poisonous plants that they may eat. He drives away any predators that he comes upon within that area. And he also describes, uh, Keller that is, uh, describes this ancient ointment or oil that the shepherds used to use on their sheep. It was a mixture of olive oil, sulfur and spices which was anointed, poured upon their heads in order to protect them from the insects and it was also an ointment that was used to uh, help and assist with the healing of any injuries that they had. You anoint my head with oil to protect, to bring comfort. Regardless of how you interpret this verse, it's a blessing for those who know the shepherd. And the last verse, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I should dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's our hope, isn't it? It's what we desire, to be in God's presence for all of eternity. The Lord is my shepherd, and if I submit to him and obey him, then I will experience his goodness and his mercy always. If I hold fast to him, I have the promise of a home in eternity with him. What a great time that's going to be. Have you noticed that this psalm is a journey? We started on the flats where there was green pastures, we moved through the valley and we arrived at the high ground. And that's where we 
received our blessings in knowing our shepherd. That's where it was fully realised, the great blessings that he has for us. That's our story of coming to Jesus, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. It all starts with accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. He's the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. And if you call him Lord and Saviour, you are one of his sheep. Think about who Jesus really is. He is the creator of all things. Nothing has been created that wasn't created by him. He stepped into this world to reconcile all things to himself. His focus was us, but he did so to reconcile all things to himself. And are you like David? Are you proud to call him your shepherd? Do you proclaim that this incredible God who created all things is the one who loves and cares for you intimately? Are we willing to do that at least? Have you come to that stage of loving obedience to your master, your shepherd? He so longs to have that relationship with each one of us. I was nothing. I was cast. I could not help myself. But he rescued me. He saved me. And I'm now his son. A person of no significance has become a cherished possession of the divine, supreme, one true God. And he is deeply concerned for me. He loves me. He cares for me. He nurtures me. He strengthens me. He guides me. He comforts me. He provides for me. And he does the same for everyone who follows him. Have you found your rest in him? Are you free from fear, tension, aggravation and hunger? Can you say that you come and lay those things at his feet? Matthew 5, 6 tells us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is that you? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Do you respond when Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink? Think about the shepherd who takes his sheep in the pre-dawn light. He meets with them. He leads them to the best place for what they need. And I believe Jesus waits for us to meet with him. Will you go? Will you meet with him? Do you set aside time to be with Jesus, to learn from him, to know him more? And right at this season, you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It may be a season where you no longer feel God. And there's many young people who've come to me, and when they tell me that they don't feel God anymore, I say, praise God, that is an awesome thing. Because he's taking them deeper. Feelings are fickle. They're not to be depended on. They're not to be relied upon. You need to believe God and his word. He will never leave you, never forsake you. And feelings follow obedience for the most part. It is true when we first come to faith that we are given these feelings of closeness to God and we sense his presence and power and they're great feelings and you'll have those all throughout your Christian walk and life but that now becomes something that follows obedience. When you're obedient to God, you will feel his presence, you will feel his power. It's not something that will constantly be with you because you're being called to obedience. 
obey him, continue to follow him. The enemy is wanting you to lose heart and stray from what God has called you to. Stay the course. Look to the shepherd. Continue with the flock. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, it's been a powerful word for me and I, I pray that, Lord, at least one thing has touched every person here this morning and those online. I ask that you'll continue to speak with us. I pray, Lord, that we will see you as the great good shepherd and that, Lord, we will meet with you in the morning, that we will want to know you more, that we will hunger and thirst for more of you. Forgive us when we haven't, Lord. And guide us in your most excellent ways. Let us submit ourselves fully to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.